Hey everybody, this is Kathleen with Conversation Ed, and today I'm bringing you an interview with Melissa Katz. She is a young activist and future teacher in New Jersey. She is pushing back hard against the high-stakes assessments in her state, and she is working with opt-out movements all over the country to help bring awareness to this issue. She is super fiery and just a pleasure to have on the show, and I know you're really going to enjoy this interview. Enjoy! Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to? Yeah, thank you for having me. So, um, again, my name is Melissa Katz. I'm 19 years old, and I am a current student at the College of New Jersey. I am on the five-year master's program for urban elementary education. Um, I got involved in the movement locally through one of my teachers in the high school who got me quite involved. Um, and educated me on what's going on. And from there, I just started going to board meetings and connecting with the right people. And then I started going to state board of ed meetings and just kind of got involved started educating myself more independently outside of school on what's going on. And uh, I'm just kind of, you know, in the general fight for all the different things, you know, all the different issues. We have Common Core, testing, um, the teacher evaluation, and I'm in a really interesting place as someone who graduated in 2013, so I'm not that far out of being a student, but I'm also a future teacher, so I have a, the perspective of, of both sides, and, and hopefully a parent one day, so even that third perspective in there that uh, gives me a good balance of, of kind of what I want to see um, in education one day. Yeah, and because you graduated in 2013, you're one of the graduating classes of No Child Left Behind. So you came up through a pretty heavy-duty accountability movement because in 2002, 3, 4, you know, when whatever state, uh, it started to really take hold. So it's interesting to see the graduating class of No Child Left Behind really kind of get out there and uh, speak up against some of the accountability movement problems and some of the corporate reform efforts that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me what's going on. What, what in New Jersey is happening and tell me, tell me what, um, you're specifically involved in. Cause I see you all over Facebook. Your activism is super important. And, um, I just, I want to know exactly what is the deal in Jersey? What's going on? Yeah. So Jersey is a really interesting place because there's, all different things going on, depending on where you are um, in New Jersey. It really does all have ways of linking together, but there are different issues. So um, more locally, our issue, so I'm in South Brunswick, which is central New Jersey, and we're really dealing with our fight locally is more about the testing. So, um, and then you can go to a place like Newark where, you know, you're dealing with school closures and you're dealing with a state superintendent and you can go to Camden where, the, you know, they're having to deal with um, the Urban Hope Act, which has to do with um, these Renaissance schools and charter schools. So every issue, you know, big issue that they, um, that you can like quote in, in education, you can really find, um, somewhere in in New Jersey, really, depending on where you are. Um, I, I've been to um, Newark a bunch of times, you know, just kind of watching from afar. The Newark Students' Union has been the most incredible group of student activists. Um, but what I'm really doing is more in South Brunswick, which a lot of New Jersey is dealing with, which is the testing issue. And our main goal has been to 
to educate parents on on what what the issues are, why we have issues with testing, and then where that connects to, how it connects to Common Core and teacher evaluations and the larger reform movement. And ideally, we'd love to see, you know, um, an opt-out movement in New Jersey. And actually, in New Jersey, it's it's really um, a refusal because we have no opt-out. You know, there's no legal right to opt-out. So, um we, I always interchange opt out and refuse, but really the, the word here is, uh, is to refuse the test. So I know that's something um, we'd really like to see. And there's so many groups. Um, we have Save Our Schools New Jersey, who I interned for this past summer, who are absolutely incredible working at the legislature and with, you know, trying with the governor. Uh, we have local groups educating parents. So we really have all bases hit. And now in New Jersey, it's just about getting everyone up to speed and educated on on the issues and what this means for, for their kids, really, at the end of the day. So talk to me a little bit about the testing issues in Jersey, because I'm very familiar with Florida, obviously, being a part of the opt-out movement here. And we interchange the two words as well, refusal, opt-out, boycott, those types of things. But um, we're we're organizing a boycott of the FSA, which is the new test to... to that will be assessing the Florida standards, which is just a rebrand of the Common Core. Um, but I'm very familiar with the issues with our testing. I mean, we retain third graders based on one measure. We refuse to give high school students diplomas if they cannot meet the demands of the testing and accountability requirements. Uh, what is what is your testing situation in Jersey? So I can, you know, so the audience can understand that this is pervasive across the country and really affecting all students. Yeah. So um, in Jersey, we have the park testing. We are one of the states that um, is still a part of the park cons- consortium and actually giving um, the park tests. We field tested um, the park test this past May, um, and it will be in place you know, upcoming for March and May are the the testing windows. Um, It's funny you bring up graduation requirements because there was actually just a change um, out of the State Board of Education that sort of made park a graduation requirement. Um, This year? This year, no. So this year for the class of 2015, they um, had to pass the HESPA. which is, which is the old test that they use. So nothing is changing because you take that as a junior. So nothing's changing for this year. Um, for class of 2016, 17, and 18, so the current 9th, 10th, and 11th graders, um, they will have to pass one part of the park tests. So we have English 9, English 10, and English 11. And then we also have testing at the end of Algebra 1, Geometry, and Algebra 2, which if you're on the normal track, you know, you're not ahead in in math, um, you take that 9th, 10th, and 11th, so it lines up. So the state said, well, to graduate, you have to pass one of those six tests. Or if you don't pass those, you can use the SAT or ACT. And then the last resort is a portfolio assessment. So the state is saying park is not a graduation requirement, but really what they're doing is they're playing semantics because they said that they expect that most kids will meet their graduation requirement using park. It's the, it's the main thing that they're expecting kids to use, but what they've done is they can say, well, it's not a, it's not a graduation requirement, 
because you can use the SAT. So it's not the only one, but it's the primary one. So again, it's playing that semantics. And, and then it raises questions of who's going to pay for the SAT? Let's say I don't pass park. Who's paying for the SAT? What if I choose to go to a college that doesn't require the SATs? What if I don't even plan on going to college? You know, I'm not going to take the SAT. And then we also have other questions. So let's say I pass ninth grade English. You only need to pass one of those six that are mentioned. So I'm done in ninth grade. I passed my graduation requirement. So why am I going to take the test in 10th and 11th grade? Money. So that raises questions of, oh, well, those kids should just refuse the test. And, and again, this is all stuff that's this was announced maybe two or three weeks ago. So everyone's in like mass discussion. There hasn't been really anything to come out of the Department of Ed yet, but everyone kind of was hit with this these changes and saying, wait, you know, it used to be that everyone was so concerned at the elementary level where it really is having a horribly huge impact. But now it's, it's a part of graduation requirement and a lot more parents are starting to be like, oh my gosh, this is, even though I have older kids, this is going to affect our kids. So we're pushing our local district. I know lots of other people are pushing their local districts and also at the state level to try to get answers on you know, these, these questions, who's paying for it? What if I, you know, what if I pass um, and I don't have to take the others? Questions, questions like that, that we really need answers to. Questions that they probably don't know the answers to, because in my experience in this fight, the FL, the Florida Department of Education and other people who are making decisions have no idea what is going on. They Same don't have, that. they don't have the answers. And so when parents ask, they just, they defer or they, they just don't know. And I think that's really dangerous when you're talking about people's diplomas, when you, when you don't really know what the set policy is. What's going on in elementary school down there? You said that it's been um, a big impact on your elementary students. How are you guys dealing with, do you do third grade retentions there? Um, I don't believe that there's third grade retention, but it's just the, the increase in the mass amount of, of testing that's, you know, taking place at our elementary levels. And we will be testing park on the Chromebooks. So that raises a whole other open door of, of questions, you know, having our district purchase. They just said the other night that we purchased like 2,116 Chromebooks and we did this really quick to prepare for park. So you know, the kids are now on Chromebooks all the time in the classroom. And in my opinion, there just there has to be a balance, you know, technology is great in the classroom, but it has to be balanced with also like not sitting next to the person to a person next to you. And you're typing to each other, you know, on a Google Doc, you know, having communication is, is important. And, you know, they're learning like test prep skills on the Chromebook at, at a young, you know, it's, it's just... It's impacting them in in ways, and I I volunteer at my old elementary school. I've been doing it for five or six years, and last year the kids were like, "Miss Cats, we hate the Chromebooks, and they're so hard to work on." And are there kids who do well on them? Of course, but kids struggle on the Chromebooks. Their their fingers can't even reach some of the keys. You know, we're expecting them to type paragraphs, and and they're like pecking, looking for letters because it's just, you know, they're kids. They're they're what, eight, nine, ten years old, and, and we're expecting them to do all these crazy things on technology that's just, it impacts the kids, it impacts the classroom, the teaching, teaching to the test at such a young age, just all, all these things that, I mean, people have probably heard before, but they're, 
they're not just like words on a paper and people complaining. They're real. It's really in the classroom and it's really happening. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I believe technology is there for us to create things, not for us to be drones filling out tests. And if a school district is going to buy Chromebooks or, you know, in our district, we buy um, computer labs, like mobile computer labs, they're completely used up by testing companies. All of the resources, media centers, new technology, uh, even personnel has been sucked up by testing companies. And it's interesting to me that Chromebooks are being used in the park exam or for the park exam. I mean, you have to look at the Gates Foundation and how much... Um, influence they have in this policy. And here we are purchasing, you know, Chromebooks and all of these different things that they have a vested interest in us all using. And it's a very convoluted, um, inter, you know, intertwined, very tangled web between corporate and people who have corporate interests and our kids and the outcome of our education system. And I just think it's ridiculous that a district would spend millions of dollars on Chromebooks only to have their students learning how to use them for for taking tests. We should be teaching them how to create things with these Chromebooks. I mean, there is an infinite amount of possibilities when you, you start using technology in the classroom in appropriate ways, and students will create the most amazing things. But instead, we box them in and expect them to, you know, use this amazing technology to fill out the most mundane um, applications, you know, filling in test bubbles. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And then we question, you know, if, if they're testing on the Chromebooks, so for, so we have two, like March is a, is a, there's like a four week testing period and then May, and it's really left up to the districts kind of how they want to test because different schools run on different times. Like our high school here is a block schedule versus a schedule, you know, so districts are making it themselves, but if everyone is is using the Chromebooks for testing, does that leave the rest of the school and the other schools with no technology? And does it leave them with, you know, a lack of, of the infrastructure and, and the internet access because it's all being eaten up by, by the testing? So even though, you know, our district will say, well, we're using it for other things, and they absolutely are using it for other things, you know, in, in the classroom little bits here and there, but that's going to be gone for two months because they're testing with it. So it's like this balance that just doesn't exist. And, and again, the answer we'll get is, well, we were planning on, you know, we had a technology plan and we were planning on getting computers. Well, you're planning on buying, you know, almost 2,200 computers at once. I don't think so. That that's, it's just illogical. You know what I mean? And, and the answer is we bought them because we have park testing coming up and, you need to be ready. Yeah, and there's a huge requirement, you know, the technology requirement regarding park and also for us as well. I mean, we we decided to go with our own standards and our own tests, but it's the same thing. It's it's yeah. the same situation. We have all this money that we're supposed to spend on technology. Florida received $700 million for Race to the Top grant money, and it's all gone. And now we're in the red trying to buy new technology, buy the infrastructure needed to sustain the amount of testing that's coming down from federal and state mandates. And we're going broke trying to implement these um you know, these mandates, these testing uh, requirements. And so it's interesting to hear. I mean, it's the same everywhere. I mean, this, this reform effort, you know, race to the top and no child left behind, you know, the remnants of no child left behind, it's just really affecting. And I don't understand why, you know, 
someone like Arnie Duncan or even Bill Gates can't see the problems with this effort. I mean, at some point you have to think Bill Gates is a savvy businessman, a smart man, um, that he wouldn't have enough self-reflection skills to say, maybe we got this one wrong and we need to pull back a little bit. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, um, it, it, I, I don't want to question their intentions because I, I don't know their intentions, but I question their intentions. Yeah. Okay. I, I go right ahead, Melissa. You can question all you want. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in my opinion, this is really an effort to kind of create a two-tiered system is you have a system, you know, through the process of all these reforms that are going to label schools as failing and then close them and you can open charter schools that can pick and choose their students. And obviously, you know, we see in charters that there are a lower amount of English language learners or English as a second language, special needs, minority, black, Hispanic students. And it creates that two-tiered system of one that caters to the wealthy and then those public schools that take all those kids that the system leaves behind. Yeah, absolutely. This is a civil rights issue, absolutely, 100%. The Once you start to educate people and they start to see the built-in failure rates on the tests, um, the amount of students failing the tests and who keep failing the amount of money that these corporations are making off of the failure of our students. You know, in our state, if they they have a test they have to take for graduation, it was the FCAT reading. And if they didn't pass the FCAT reading, they had to keep retaking it and retaking it because we wanted to give them as much um, opportunity to graduate as possible. So you've got kids retaking the test three times a year for three years. I mean, talk about a profit margin there. You've got 50% of the kids failing the tests and then 50% of high school students retaking um, and the district paying for the tests. So it's a, it's a fantastic business model. You keep them failing. They keep paying. It's built-in failure rates. It's all good for the corporation. Unfortunately, the kids who continue to fail are those who are lousy test takers, and some of those happen to be white affluent kids. But for the most part, it's poor minority students who fail these tests. And it's designed that way. I'll say it right now. It is designed to keep a certain group of people exactly where they are, and that is cleaning our toilets and picking our tomatoes. And that's the way it is. And anybody who tries to kind of break free from that system, there are all kinds of provisions in place to keep everybody right where they are. And this and then is who's also who's making the money, you know, if if they like you said, they fail the test there, you know, there's all these test prep. You can do this to, to do better. And who's putting out all those materials? It's the same companies who are giving the test, you know, Pearson McGraw Hill. They're putting out all the it's like they've got all bases covered in in the business of test taking. What's your governor saying um, up there, Mr. Christie? How is he dealing with uh, education? And I, I mean, I've heard him speak to teachers and I almost fell off my chair. Um, how is he handling this whole pushback against testing? What is he saying? Um, not much. <laughs> um, our, our governor and our commissioner and assistant commissioner continue to talk about how amazing the new testing is and how it's going to give us the best data we've ever had, which our kids are not data points for the state to be mining in the first place. Um, our governor is supposed to have a study commission 
on Park, and there this was announced in August, I believe. Um, it was a compromise with um, over instead of a bill, you know, it was a comp- he compromised with NJEA on certain things. And he's supposed to have the study commission out, and their first report is due in December. Study commission hasn't been formed yet. Um, I've heard rumors that they've screened some people for the study commission, but their report is due in two Four months. Weeks, yeah. And they have not, you know, no one knows who's on it, if it's even formed in the first place. Um, we are just, there at the state level, there is complete pushback against any pushback we're giving Mm -hmm. um and the state will always say which is the thing that gets most under my skin you know there's a lot of misinformation in the public you know putting it on us like we're spreading false lies about you know what's going on and and the truth is they're the ones who are misinformed they're the ones who aren't on the ground seeing what's going on every day and and they're the ones who who really don't have, like you said before, they don't have answers to any questions because they come up with things on the fly. You know, something goes terribly wrong. It's, oh, you know, well, we've had this backup plan, but no, they just, you know, they made it up in the back of their minds two seconds ago. Um, So, you know, sitting at state board of ed meetings and listening to the commissioner and assistant commissioner speak is, is a little bit, it's very actually mind blowing because you just sit there and everyone there is like in this little love fest of how amazing each other is. And, and it's all of us are sitting there in the audience. Like, have you stepped foot in a classroom and seen what this is doing? They just talk about how great they all are. Yeah. It's the same here. Uh, our commissioner, our, our education commissioner hasn't been in a classroom since 1983. She never had to come up during a, such a rigorous accountability movement. Our superintendent here in Lee County, where I am, she hasn't been in a classroom for many, many years. So the people making decisions have no idea what it's like in a building, in a classroom with these reforms. And they, again, same what you're saying, they just blow smoke up each other's asses and say, oh, gosh, yeah. you're doing such a great job. And really, if you look at Florida data, test scores have not changed. Reading test scores have not changed. It is set right at 50%, give or take two or three points. But besides that, it stayed right there. And so they, they're constantly saying like, oh, we've improved and this and that. We haven't improved. It doesn't matter what test it is. It doesn't matter when it's administered. It doesn't matter how it's administered. The same kids are failing over and over again. And nobody wants to talk about race and poverty, which has a huge impact on how students do on these exams. People just want to talk about achievement gaps and all this crap that they don't know anything about. When the number one thing, the number one reason why kids fail these tests is socioeconomic status. Poor kids don't do as well on these tests. And what are we doing for those students? We just keep testing them, hoping that maybe they'll pass. And then we blame the teachers for the bad reform efforts of the state and the federal government. And in this state, teachers are really missing from the conversation. I mean, they, Same here, yeah. they are so terrified. We, we deal with heavy-handed leadership all over the state, specifically in my district. I mean, our, our last three superintendents ruled with an iron fist, and they, the teachers are terrified. And uh, is that what's going on in Jersey, too? Are they completely freaked out and do not want to say anything? Yeah, I'm, I mean, we definitely do have a few who are um, louder voices. 
Um, but for for the most part, yeah. I mean, they're so so terrified of rightfully so of being reprimanded for for speaking out, um, whether it be from an administrator or the superintendent at a local level, mm-hmm. down to the governor screaming at teachers. Um, I know I've seen that. It's just yeah. <laughs> so. There's just, like, this culture of fear and oppression, and the people who really could give the most to the conversation, the people who are in it every day and are in the classroom six, seven, eight hours a day with your kids are the really the biggest group of people that are left out of the conversation, because if we don't actually hear what's going on, we can pretend that everything we're doing is perfect and great and the best thing for education when it's the exact opposite. And then no one has to actually face these, this, this pushback from the other end and New Jersey, like talking about um, like performance, New Jersey is one of the top three States in the country. We always bounce back and forth between second and third. And um, there was a presentation at the state board of ed where They said, um, the assistant commissioner said, you know, we're not seeing growth. Our data is flat. And it was in one of the categories. I can't remember which, so I don't want to say. I believe it was reading, but I have to, I would have to, you know, check that. Um, Is we were first in the country, but we're flat. And it's like, well, that's because we're, we're doing so well. How much more do you expect us to grow when our kids are doing better and better? So am I saying that education is, is great in New Jersey? No, because we have so many other issues with, you know, our, our more urban areas. But um, overall, by NAEP scores, we are one of the top performing states in the country, which for some reason equates to let's change everything. <laughs> yeah. That and sounds about right. And that is, um, escapes me, but yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> sounds about right. I mean, uh, we don't even in Florida, we don't even let any kind of change take root. We're changing every three years. And anybody who has studied education knows you need a good five year. If you're going to do an initiative, you need to be in it for five years, maybe make some small tweaks and continue on. Uh, we constantly hear from ed leaders that change happens slowly and you can't turn a battleship on a dime and all this stuff. Yet when it comes to their new initiatives, their new pushes, their new testing initiatives, whatever it is, they want to turn the battleship on the dime. But when we want to make uh, you know, radical change to eliminate some of this bad policy. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's got to go slow. It's just interesting to me how um, politicians talk out of both sides of their mouths, especially when it comes to education. Yes. How do you feel? What do you think is the answer? I mean, regarding the whole testing issue and teacher accountability and all of that, what do you, what would you like to see happen in the next year or two or, or through your work? What would you like to see happen? Yeah, I'd really like to see a a mass refusal of the tests. And on the other side of it, if people don't want to refuse, because, you know, a lot of people kind of have the attitude that my kid's smart, so my kid will do well. Um, You know, the inability to see outside of the bubble of, you know, not only themselves, but even our own town. Um, If people aren't going to refuse, then I would love to see the whole thing crash. So, if it if it's through refusals, if it's through just the whole system crashing when all of New Jersey is testing at one time, um, 
I would just like to see the whole the whole empire fall. And and really, it's this is kind of what's so beautiful about being in this um, stage of not you know not being a teacher yet, but also deeply involved in things that have to do with my future is I have these ideas of what I don't see as as being education. And at the same time, I'm also developing what my ideas are for what good, genuine, authentic education is. So learning about, well, this is not, this is not it. So researching, well, what is, you know, ways of authentic assessment and teacher autonomy and innovation in the classroom. Um, So in my eyes, there's, there's no need for this, this testing because it doesn't give us any useful data, anything that the test would say teachers already know because they spend all day in the classroom with the kids. They know where kids are excelling and where they could use assistance and a little more help. And um, it's just being, it's being used in these, these harmful, malicious ways, this data to, to close schools and harm, you know, and harm teachers and say, well, last year you were a great teacher, but this year you're ineffective. And if you're ineffective next year, we're going to file tenure charges on you. It's like, we just went to this, this extreme. So, um, in my perfect little education world, we have no no state or federal standardized testing. And, and if it really had to be more realistic than that, because I don't know if it'll ever be that way, um, you know, this, this state testing that used to be at 4th, 8th, and 11th, and where there's no high stakes associated to it whatsoever, would be something that in, in a more realistic vision, um, I would somewhat be willing to compromise on on the inside I'd still you know be a little like well I think no testing might be better but um again it's really not only the test but the just the high stakes association that are associated with them absolutely yeah I'm any good researcher knows that you could take a sample size of about 3,000 students make sure the demographics match up to your demographics test them without any high stakes And you would get the same number that you would get if you tested every student with high stakes. Then a district could take those, you know, the the data from those 3,000 students that they tested and make decisions that would fix whatever problems they see or gaps that they see. Testing every student is a money game. I mean, Pearson isn't going to make money off 3,000 students. They're going to make money off of, you know... 80,000 in your district, 250,000 in Miami-Dade, you know, all these big districts that test all their kids and then retest another third of those kids over and over again because they're in high school and they have to retake. So, I mean, it's all about money. And when you talk about the people who say, oh, well, my kid will do fine on this test, those people need to understand, too, that they're using your high-flying kids yeah, for data exactly. so that their school scores will go up to A's. They don't care that your kid is a high flyer. They just want their data. I've seen principals and assistant principals um, when I was an assistant principal before I quit because of this BS. Um, I saw principals manipulate the figures so that, okay, we'll retest this group and we'll grab that score and we'll add it to our school grade. And it's just become this numbers game where we're supposed to be in the business of educating students. And instead we're in the business of like mass manipulation to make it look like we're an A school in the community. And I've seen schools go from A's to C's back up to A's to B's. I mean, it's so volatile and ridiculous. Like if you were a good researcher, you would look at that data and say, these are outliers. We're going to throw it out. 
Yeah. And until we really address also all the societal issues that we know, I mean, poverty being, you know, it's almost 25%, you know, almost one in four students are going to school hungry, not clothed, not properly, you know, just all these things that poverty has impacted, um, income inequality, um, you know, crumbling school. I mean, the list goes on of things that are more societal issues. And we expect education to fix those things. But really, until we make change in society as a whole, education is still going to suffer and the students suffer because they're the ones at the end of the day who are really being being hurt in the end of this because they they have no choice I mean yes you can refuse the tests but this is their education and they every every student deserves a quality and equitable education and and many are not getting that absolutely so What's next for you? What's on the horizon? What are you up to besides, you know, your studies? What what do you got planned? Any kind of like protest or rally or anything like that? Um, we're we're trying, you know, locally. <laughs> it's a slow moving train. Um, but you know, we're gonna keep pushing here. Um, you know, I love being involved at the state level. Um, I have a great relationship with the state board one state board of ed member. Um you know, constantly talking to the assistant commissioner, um, kind of trying to push back there and just organizing in our different districts. You know, we have a district here, Bloomfield, who is a, they're just a great progressive district. And they passed a just recently a, an opt out resolution. I saying, saw that. Yeah. Saying, you know, if students choose to refuse the test, which they have a right to do, we will honor it in a respectable way and give them, you know, an alternate educational experience because they're at school to learn. Um, so really just working to, to create connections among, among different districts and, and also try to, uh, something I'm trying to, to get myself to do is, is figure out a way to get more future teachers really involved in this because there's just so many people who I go to school with that just, they just don't know. And, um, you know, it's because we don't talk about this in, in, in school. You know, we talk about the perfect little classroom that exists, but it's so unrealistic that while, yes, you need those foundational understanding of, you know, what education is and, and, you know, what it would look like in a perfect classroom, you have to know what it really looks like out there and how to adapt and know. Um, so kind of pushing back a little bit at, at the college level, to get more future teachers interested and also to try to get some of the higher ups there to start having these conversations around um, what's going on in this, this profession that we're entering into. You know, a lot of people have never heard of common core and they've never heard of park and they don't know that they're going to be evaluated on student test scores. And, you know, I've even met people who don't know what have never heard of No Child Left Behind. It's like you went to school through that system, like mm -hmm. at least know, you know, so really just trying to continue and navigate, navigate my way, try to find a place. The one downside of being in this in between place is, um, you know, it, it's kind of a weird situation. You know, I'm not a parent, I'm not a teacher and I'm not a student. So but I hook on to that future teacher and, and try to just navigate um navigate and just educate people. Yeah, I teach at the College of Education, and I was told by my professors who know how um, involved I am with the opt-out movement and everything, because I quit my job as an assistant principal, and um, I'm in the doctoral program at, at our local um, university here. And the first thing they said was, we're really glad that you're here to teach students, 
please don't scare them out of the teaching profession because they knew <laughs> that I was going to be very candid about the conditions in which they will be teaching under. So um, I think it's important. I mean, I love teaching. I'm so glad I'm back in the classroom as a teacher now. It's been absolutely wonderful. But at the same time, I think we have a responsibility as College of Education professors to tell our students exactly what is happening. And, you know, the problem is, too, is a lot of professors haven't been in the game either. Um, yes. You know, and, and they have and it's great because they have this awesome theory that we learn, you know, this this wonderful education theory, Dewey and Beauchamp and Taylor and all these different people. But uh, we notice as we go into the field that we do the exact opposite of what we should be doing. And so it's really important that we kind of uh, prepare our future teachers um, to understand what they're going into. And I'm, I'm preparing my students at the, the university level to become teacher activists. I'm, I'm frustrated that so many teachers are sa staying silent. And I, I understand that they are scared and not everybody's going to quit their job like I did and, and put themselves out there or whatever, because that was just, that's crazy. But um, I feel like we need to prepare our future teachers to stand up for what is right for students. And I think the College of Education has a responsibility to do that. Yeah. I mean, I always say I, I have nothing to lose at this point. <laughs> and if I, if I don't fight back and get others to fight back too, we're not even going to have a profession to walk into. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when people say they, well, the politics, I just want to, you know, I just want to be a fun teacher. It, it's just, just such a disconnect between what's going on. And I actually think we do te future teachers a disservice by not being honest and letting them know what they're really going into. Because many times then, you know, kids will go into student teaching and see what it's really like and be like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was going to be. So by, by educating, not just being like, oh, these are all the issues and education is, you know, this crazy field, which it is but talk about what we can do and ways to get involved to fight back. And that's really where all, that link is also so important too, because yes, there's all these issues, but what can we do about it as, as future teachers? Absolutely. Well, I am so glad that you came by and talked to us. I think this interview is really, really important. I'm definitely going to share it with my college of education students. And I know that, um, our teacher viewer audience or our teacher listener audience will be super excited to hear you and, and everything that you're doing. And I want to check back with you in um, during testing season and find out what's going on because we're organizing a refusal movement here too. We want to see enough people refuse the FSA, which is our state test this year, the new one that was field tested in Utah, a white affluent state rather than in Florida, where we have 50% minority rate. Um, and so I want to see what happens in Florida and see what happens in Jersey and um, how we can work together to make this thing happen. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And we'll wrap with that. Thanks for listening, everyone. And if you'd like to get more involved, please visit www.conversationed.com. Also, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Conversation Ed. And we are on Instagram, conversation underscore ed. Have a great day.